Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word, that it is life and truth. And Father, I thank you that you are a father. Lord, that you're not just a power in the sky. Lord, that you're not just um, someone over us. Lord, but you're someone for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? I pray that your scriptures would have life in them right now. Breathe life into our souls, into our hearts. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. Um, you know, Jody was mentioning, you know, having, having that prayer of the politics. And um, I, I just maybe start off with that as I go into this. Um, I'm thankful that God isn't just a force that is above us, full of power, and that their scriptures don't just say things like he's almighty and all-powerful, because those are true and amazing statements about who God is. He is those things, amen? All those things, he is those, and it's, I don't want to serve, you know, like, you know, the God who's mediocre, you know, I am mediocre. I am the Lord. Hey, the, hey, right? Wouldn't that hey, be terrible? Hey. I have some of the power, but I don't know where the rest of it is. That would be horrible, right? You know, I, I hold all things. Well, some things in my hand, and some of the things are missing in this sort of a quantum parallel. But we don't know where they are. Um, thank God that he's very clear about his statements, that he says he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And, but I'm glad it doesn't end there. Like, it, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't, it doesn't just say that we're a subservient force. We are a subservient force. I, I don't have the power to overcome God, nor do I want to. But who knows in my future or my past life that maybe, you know, in my own rebellion, I would have wanted to have more power. And, and I even see in my own life that there's times when I just want more power. Do you ever feel like that? You go, so you say, Lord, I know you have a lot of power, can I have some of it right now? Like, can you just carve a little section of your power that I could have access right now and exercise it so that I can have dominion over these things that are confronting my life? And, and, and just I want the Lord to go, here is quadrant 23. And I take quadrant 33, you know, and I go, yeah, kaboom, you know, and just knock things out of my life. And, and it would be so awesome to have that power. But, but constantly, I'm always yielding to God's power. Uh, it, so so it's, it kind of goes against your very nature because you want to express yourself and you want to do more. And God allows you to be forceful. But there are also times when he wants you to be trusting him and submitting yourself to him. Then in that submission, power comes. But again, that's not the key thing that I am loving this morning, what I want to share. It's really the heart of who God is, that he uses words with us like adoption, like I'm your father, a father and a son. And I don't know what your background may be with that. I've had my ups and downs with those in my past. I've had those things reconciled in God's provision. But that's an amazing analogy. I'm so thankful that God's not just a king and he's not just the Lord of all the lords and the king of all the kings and the God of all the gods, but he is my dad. And I'm so thankful for those scripture like Abbas. And if you've ever been to like India or places in the Middle East and you see little kids running down the street, they go, Abbas, Abbas, Abbas. Then they're talking to their dad. 
and they're just shouting in the streets. And God uses that language. That's the language he uses. He says, I'm your dad. I'm your dad. How many say amen? This is such powerful stuff. It's incredible stuff that God has that heart. And I, I think that, you know, I think of the, the New Testament and how the Bible books first came. And imagine that Jesus Christ was crucified and his resurrection saved us. But you were in a city that was maybe a couple cities out, so you didn't really get Jesus coming there, but you heard about the story. And eventually letters came to you explaining what the gospel was and the apostle Paul or one of the leaders or elders of the early church, they came to you and told you what happened. And as you believe what they said, the power of God changed you and you were born again. Imagine how incredible that was. These letters coming to you. And, and then now imagine in our modern world that people collect all the letters and treat it kind of like the penal code. You know, the letters were written to share who Jesus Christ was. But now people take the letters and we say, well, Galatians 4 and uh, 1 Corinthians 2, we make sure that this harmonizes somehow with the existence of God. And pretty much they want to prove to you that you're not saved as they go through the text or prove to you that you're not accepted by God by the text. And I think, and I hear them say this, and I want to just... Have fun with it a little bit. They say, I wish we were like the New Testament church. Does anyone have a Bible here? Like a physical Bible? Okay. Is that a real Bible, a whole Bible? Okay, come on up here. Just, put, just do a quick role play with me, would you? Come on. Okay, either one, either one of you guys. There it is. Just a quick role play. Just stand over there. Just say, I want to be a New Testament church. I want to be a New Testament church. Okay, well, then you don't get this. Because that's not coming to your city for probably another 30 years. You may have one letter. <laughs> how, 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 many, how, many know, how many know that, that, that this is the, the fact? Right? The moratorium fragments was the first time you get a concatenation of all the scriptures. is like 127 A.D., so, so you may have had one book. What city do you live in? Galatia? Where do you live? Antioch. You live in Antioch. Okay, here we go. <laughs> here you get that part. In fact, you don't get that. Come on up. Come on up. Come on. <laughs> one of you guys, come on up. You should, you should have said, I never should have sat in the front row. <laughs> and I, you know, the thing is, I never do this. In fact, you don't get this. You get to read it to him. That's all you get. Okay. So you can just make it up like you're reading it to him. It all started. and she, That's all you get. She read it to you. Do you remember a lot of it? Okay. Let me give you the nutshell. Jesus is the Christ. Yeah. How many say amen? amen? And he died and rose again. He was clearly portrayed as crucified. And that's the very minimal thing that you need to know. That's all I need to know. Can we say thank you to these guys? Oh, by the way, here's your Bible. <laughs> Are you sure the whole Bible's in here? How small is the writing? <laughs> I would need like four glasses to read that, I think. <laughs> yeah, my eyesight's not that good. Not up close. 
I want you to know that the New Testament was written for you. It was written to the cities so that you could know what was going on. But the real testimony of Jesus Christ was that when you were born again, you would experience him in your heart and soul. The scriptures then, when they came to life and the letters started coming out, affirmed what was going on and then gave life and direction for the doctrine of how people should live in the life of the church. It was an affirmation. It was a a confirmation of what God was already doing. Amen? The thief on the cross didn't memorize the New Testament before he was saved. Okay? But listen, and you're looking at a person, you don't know a whole lot of people that love the Bible more than me. I promise you, I love, love the Bible. Because I know it's an empowerment It's not a contradiction to my faith. It's an empowerment to my faith. It's something that brings life because it testifies about who God is. But the biggest testimony I have of who God is, is that through the cross, I can know him. And he lives in me, Christ in me, say it, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Now, we're going into this topic called accepting my new identity. And I really want to really, as we go into Christmas time and hit the the season and then going into the new year, I want us to get a reminder of the intimacy of God and who he wants us to be. Our walk with God is not just about becoming sin managers. How many have some struggles that you have with sin? Come on. How many would love to see it all gone? That sin. Think of that sin. Pretend it was all gone. Trust me, there's another one that you're still struggling with a week later. It's a different one. Have you ever done that? I thought. I remember praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, if you could just get rid of this in my life, and all of a sudden it'd be gone. And then there'd be some new thing. And I go, I don't even know if I had that. I'm an idiot on like multiple fronts. I'm an idiot here. I'm an idiot here. It's like I can't believe I'm a multiple idiot. Right? And and if you tie your salvation to your ability to overcome things, then you will never overcome them. If you only see the God who hates sin, and even at times has mentioned that he hates the the grappling of the sinner with the sin, is if that's the only one you see without seeing the one who loves and pays for the sin, then you won't see who God is. That's why Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Whatever the Father does, I also do. If you want to know what the Father's like, watch me. And what do you see Jesus do? Healing the sick. And not just the sick, you know, this person has a broken leg. You know, there's times when you have a broken leg, and you just got to get a cast on, and you just need to live it out. Because God's working on deeper issues in your life. Amen? Amen? And you're going, Lord, heal my leg, heal my arm, heal my eye. And he's going, nope. And you go, then heal my anger. (laughs) Heal my bitterness. Heal my lack of not fulfilling my dreams. Boy, that kind of hurt too close. (laughs) Better talk about something else. (laughs) Listen, our walk with God is not about being a sin manager, but it's understanding who we are in Christ. And I'm just, I'm just going to focus on four things, kind of a nutshell. You know, there's been several times here where I've gone through books, and, and I really want to go topical today for this reason. Number one, just say it with me. Say, I am saved. 
I am saved. There's a lot there, that word soterio, or in the, in the case that I'm going to use it in um, sozo, which is the verb. It's not just, I'm in this clear state before God. It's true. But there is inherently a bunch of things that are implied with this that will bring peace to your life. How would you like to know that you're forgiven? That is an incredible gift. Trust me, there's going to be people, if you burn them, even if you did something bad and you ask for forgiveness, that they can't. It's too hurtful. They won't do it for whatever reason. God's forgiveness is still good. It's still good. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. God is making you whole. You, you know, there's a, a re- you've been rescued from the life of self-direction. Where it's self-motivated, where, you know, it's, you know, some leader once called your sin the self-biased impulse drive. You know, you're saved from your own sins by Christ. And you might find yourself stuck in a sin and go, I don't know if that's true. It's true. You're just not experiencing it all this moment. It is, in fact, totally forgiven and totally restored in God's eyes, but you are living out its expression. Say it, I am saved. And this is why Jesus Christ comes to them and he says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. They have it. It's not a, oh, it's in me, it's out of me, I'm born again, unborn, reborn, unborn. It's they have eternal life. And listen to the sentence afterwards. And I hope you love this one. And will not be condemned. They will not be condemned. That, that word, katakrino, it's the judgment. They will not fall under judgment. Why? Why? Why won't they fall under judgment? Because do you understand the cross represents the judgment that you and I deserve? He took upon himself the payment and the judgment of our sins. Okay? Now, how many think this is pretty good news? Is it worth preaching? Go preach the good news. You're like, well, I don't know. Should I be religious? Don't be religious. Preach this good news. This is good news. What better message can you go than you can you have than looking your friend in the eye and saying, I want you to know that you're forgiven by God because of Jesus. What better thing is there than that? You know, I think Christians spend so many times telling the world what sins they can and cannot do. And trust me, I know, because the the reason God delivers us from them is because they're hurtful to our eternal soul. But that giving them rights and wrongs doesn't bring them necessarily to Christ, although the law can be a schoolmaster. It can, you know, bring you in a sense where you know internally, but it doesn't mean that we have to use it that way as a weapon. The gospel is not the weapon, but it's the message, and it's good news. One more time here, and listen carefully, because I'm going to build on this. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Hey, you can get your doctrine from a lot of places. Go on theology websites, do whatever you want. I'll take mine right there from Jesus. I, I, think, I think Jesus is pretty good doctrinally. I think he's got a, you know, his divinity degree, I'd say. Amen? 
I'll just go with what he says. I think he knows what to add and what to subtract. It's right there in the heart of what he says, because what they asked him is they go, what are the works of God that we have to do? And they didn't say, he didn't say, oh, you have to do these works. He says, the work of God is this, that you believe in the one in whom he sent. Then he makes his statement. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I am rescued. I'm saved by God. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed. It's not, you weren't, the seed planted in you from Christ or the Holy Spirit that came upon you through rebirth wasn't a perishable seed that's going to kind of fade away or be corruptible. If you guys have the King James or New King James, it says corruptible, not corruptible seed. It's not something that could be corrupted. He planted something that is immortal, something that's impervious. We have all these uh, shows on TV about people who have special powers. Well, you have special powers too. You have the almighty God living in your very being. He is living you. He is immortal. He's invisible. He is eternal. It's an imperishable seed. You've been, it's not of imperishable, but, or perishable, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. He's not talking about the Bible here, by the way. This is not where you pull your Bible and go, yeah, praise God for the Bible. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and the word became flesh, and the word came to the cross, and the word brought his spirit to us through his payment, and the word lives in me, imperishable. Amen? So the Bible then reflects that word, but it is not. I don't, have the, I don't eat the Bible. I don't go home and go, what you doing, man? Well, I ate Galatians today, man. It was hard. You know, he should eat the electrical, electronic version. It's a lot simpler. It's a bunch of zeros and ones. It's way simpler. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My daughter goes like, why do you crack, at your own, crack up at your own jokes? And I go, I don't tell them unless I think they're funny. <laughs> you know, if they're funny, then I go with it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on, dads. You know what I'm talking about. Right? All right. I am saved. Say it with me. Say, I am his child. You all know if you've been parents, you've been halfway decent as a parent in any way, even if you've messed a bunch of things up, but you found those moments where you said, man, I care about my kid. You couldn't help it. There was something in there. It wasn't just like, well, they kind of look like me. It isn't that. There's something there that, that goes beyond what you can describe. God made this society, the, the way earth is and the way um, uh, uh, people and life is, to reveal himself. That's the goal. And you have to understand that when we understand what it's like to have kids or to see what family means... And we have a lot of brokenness in, in our culture, so it's sometimes hard to understand. It's an obstacle. But we can get just a glimpse of what God says when he says, you're my child. You're my kid. We're, I'm not Jesus Christ, the one only begotten. You know, it's, it's the, he uses the word monogamous, which is the one and only, the unique gene, the only one. He's saying that, that you are in him and because you're in him, you're a child. How many are glad that you're a child of God? Listen, I want you to embrace that. 
I really, it, it, this is not a, a preacher trying to build momentum. This is a, a preacher telling you to take the heart of what's in these scriptures and realize that this God who so loved the world gave his one and only son. Why? So that you would have that imperishable seed. So that you wouldn't perish, but that you'll be with him. I'm preparing a room for you. If it were not true, I would have told you. All these things he says because I want you to be with them. Right? This is so powerful. Listen, he says, to all who received him, to those who believed in the name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or human decision or husband's will, but they are born of God. That's pure, isn't it? It's, it's not the people and how they decided about things. It's not, hey, my cousin's grandfather was a priest, and now I'm, he, the friend was, he was also a priest, and then he was a pastor, and now I'm a, I must be a Christian too. It's not by descent. It's born of God. I'm born of God. Just say what we say. I've been born of God. I'm, I'm, his, I'm his child. I'm, I'm saved. Do you understand that God did not need to do this? But he had to do this because this is his nature. This is the nature. Remember when Jesus looks at Jerusalem, he says, how long have I longed to gather your children? How long have I looked upon you and wanted to cry? He goes, but you didn't want it. He's saying, come, right? Come to me, all you who are weary. You're burdened. You're running your own life. Let me be a dad. And you know, when you're a dad, when your kids are really little, you tell them everything what to do. Put a smile on your face. Right? Sit there in that chair. Come on, eat the food. Okay, we'll play train. Open your mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as they start to get, oh, you don't do that to your 18-year-old, right? All right, open your mouth. They're like, Dad, stop it, all right? I'm 18, all right? I'm getting married in like two years. Will you please cut it out? No. That's why Jesus, at the end of his ministry, looks at his disciples, and he says, now you know the master's business. You know what's going on. You know why I'm here. Now we're friends. We're partners. That's that's why I am. And that's why I hope you want to be, and I know you are, that we're friends and partners with God in this life. He has a vested interest in your family, too. But my family's scattered. Yeah, but God's a big God. He wants you to believe in a big and mighty God. Yeah, but the obstacles are, it would take miracles. He's a miraculous God. He's a lot bigger. Yeah, but I don't know if I can believe. Well, of course you can't. That's why you need God. Lord, help me to believe. Help my unbelief. There's no scenario that God can't overcome. But I don't know how to find love, and I really think I need relationship. Yeah, you do, but you need God first. You need his depth first. You need to fly like the Lord, and you will soar like that fly on wings of eagles. Listen, I, I've shared this scripture before. I've been here probably two or three times and since I've been preaching here. But I, 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 this, is, this is an overwhelming love. This is, some of you might have in, in, in New King James or ESV, marvelous. See what great, marvelous love the Father has lavished on us. Isn't that awesome? 
Don't you love having a God who's lavished his very soul on you? His spirit is the soul of God. First Corinthians talking about searching the depth of who he is. Awesome. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Right? And, and he goes on here about sharing in his suffering. I don't have it written down there, but, but I know what, where the text goes. He says, he says, as long as we share in his suffering. And it's not, if you look at the phrasing, it's not just, as long as you suffer too. What he's saying is, do you see the payment of suffering that has happened on your behalf? Do you see it too? That's where it's the word share there is sympathetic which is to be sympathetic. Are you sympathetic with the suffering that has happened for your sake? How many say, yes, Lord. He has that same love. And that scripture says, it finishes, it says, when Christ is finally revealed, it says, and we shall see him, and in seeing him, when, as we, and we shall see him, and in seeing him, we shall become like him. This is one of the great motivators of spending time with God is that he's constantly conforming you to his image. It happens when you're cognizant of it, but night and day, whether you sleep or whether you're awake, the kingdom moves in your life. Amen? Okay, another cool thing. I am his heir. Say it with me. I am his heir. I am his heir. Have you been stupid with your money? Right? And your kids go, hey, so how much money you got? Is it an inheritance? Yeah. It's about 200 bucks. You guys can split it up. We're all going to Sizzler. Right? And then some of you guys go, man, I got millions to give them. But I don't know my kids. You see, everybody's got their problems. But when the Lord tells you you're an heir, you're an heir to God and you're a co-heir with Christ. This is not something where uh, another religion might go, see, we're going to be gods. No, you're not going to be God because at one point you were a sinning fool. The origin of God is never a sinning fool. Amen? How many have been a sinning fool? Raise your hand. And you shall never be God. Thank you very much. (laughs) And the last thing you want, trust me, is a sinning fool previous who's now become God. God has never been a sinning fool. He's always been who he is. He is unchanging in that aspect of who he is. It says, when the right time came, God sent his son. And now he says it, and he says this, this is how Christ, by the way, comes in on your behalf. He does, he, he comes not only, I was born and I did a bunch of cool stuff. He's saying, all the predicaments you guys were in, I was in. Okay, he sent his son. I was born of a woman. Yes, I came into the, bir- the physical way. He says, I was subject to the law. That's how he was. The laws were the same laws that are over us, that God freed us from. They were over him. But how many know that he overcame them? And it says, God sent him to buy freedom for us. Freedom. God came so that we would have freedom. For us who were slaves to the law. Oh, no. Number 25, 653, new. Oh, I can't do that one. God set us free. How? 
by paying for the penalty of not accomplishing them. And not that all on loan, but also inhabiting us so that he can empower us to live victorious spiritual lives. This is the goodness of God. Why? Why did he do all this? Why? You, you want to, I'll give you the religious answer. So that God could demonstrate that he is mighty and powerful and full of wrath and he could do what he wants. So you better get into the Bible study on Tuesday. We'll see you there at 430. Bring your kids. Make sure they're unhappy. <laughs> Welcome to religion. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. There are so many times in my life as a, not only as a leader, I've been pastoring for quite a few years and I've been a Christian for almost three decades where God has just shown me and I just, I could see the revelation of God and he just showed me, I am your good dad, Eric. I'm with you. And I just think to myself, God, how can you be so intimate like this? It doesn't make sense to me. You're so amazing. But yet God is intimate like a father is with a child. There's nothing more sweet than seeing a mom holding her little baby. And she's so excited and she sees that and there's this... She looks at that face, and that face hasn't disobeyed her yet. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just, give this another 14 months, and things will change. (laughs) You'll be praying in the corner, go, Lord, give me love for these kids. (laughs) I'm tired of grounding them for everything. But imagine that the Lord doesn't only have the power to find prayer, but he has the power to overcome that kid's sin and change their life and reveal to them their purpose. The world, let me just tell you, you can look on the TV all you want. You can find as many self-help books as you want. The only one who knows how you're made and what your purpose is, is the living God. He, he knows it. And, the, the, and as you come to him, you won't come with pure motives. You won't go, I'm ready to do whatever you want. You'll come with a bunch of garbage. And he will clean and clear that out. And then he will begin to show you who and what you are. And as you do that and become who you're supposed to be, you will find a freedom that says, I am in the Lord, being molded to his image. How many say amen? amen. Almost done. Amen. Because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. What spirit did he send into our hearts? The spirit of who? Of his son. Amen? The spirit of Jesus is in my heart. Right? Those of you who may have Jehovah Witness background, you have to look at the redundant use of spirit, son, and mighty God in chapter 8 of Romans. And see that he uses it interchangeable, and that's a problem with that thinking. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us. It prompts us to call out. What, when the spirit of God comes into you and he clarifies who he is, and he says, I am your God. What does the spirit of his son naturally make you want to do being conformed to his image, and this is what it is. It is, Papa, 
It's dad. It's Abbas. Abbas. Papas. This is the call. Pater. Sorry, wrong translation. Abbas, Pater. It's, it's the father. It's my dad. This is the heart of the father God. We are like his little children, not in an insulting way. Right? Hebrews is so clear. It says, what is man that God is mindful of him? Like, it's almost like the, the, the psalmist is saying, you could squash us like a grape. Why do you care about us? And then God says, I am your father. He just goes right into who he is. Is this good news? Now, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Turn to someone and say, you're not a slave anymore. You're his own child, right? I won't go into this. This is a whole sermon series in itself. But God, this makes us so clear about what the difference is in this whole book, Galatians. You're God's own child. And since you are his child, think about this progression. Say it with me. Say, no longer a slave. Say the next one. Say, I'm God's own child. Okay, now I say, and since you're a child, the next thing is, So I'm an heir. Because I'm a child, I'm an heir. That's the way it works. Right? And and, and if you've had, let's say you haven't had kids, it doesn't matter. You have the heart of the Lord. I have adopted many kids that are not my natural kids, but according to God are like my kids. And I'm not the only one. There's other people who've cared for them too. Because as Paul said, there's a lot of teachers out there, but not a lot of fathers. And God has given this heart of the father. A father sees a son's or a daughter blowing it, but they work to help them overcome it. They don't just sit and, you know, look what they did. And I understand that's our natural tendency, all of us. That's our natural tendency. You did this and you did this. We can't help it. But then God changes us, and then we start to get a heart of his, the Father's heart. We get a heart for people. And if you're an heir, that means what Jesus is deserving as he has come into the humanity. When he became the flesh, like us, fully man, but fully God, and overcame the power of sin and the power of death, he had inherited as a man, eternal life. And I am an heir now. How many say amen? Do you know that the treasures of the Lord, I'm an heir of those things. The goodness of the Lord. Listen, the Lord told me when I was going to preach this message that there are some that are going to have a hard time believing this. You know, I'm not going to pretend this magical voice of God came in, but the Lord in my heart just impressed upon me that there, there are some, it's kind of like your face is, is down almost in a sense. And the Lord so many times says, lift your head up. Lift your head up and look to see the things that I have for you. God, isn't, God is going to discipline us. You can't avoid the discipline of the Lord because he loves us. But the discipline is there to help us become who we're supposed to be. Amen? I'm almost done here. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own 
by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Like this didn't start. God didn't look, you know, somewhere in, you know, in 2014 and go, you know, in 2015, I think I'm going down to Draper, Utah. There's a church there. I think there's going to be some preaching. We're going we're to touch them with the Holy Spirit. No, this is something that's already in the prophetic heart. If any of you have heard the term supralapsarianism, it's when did God decide to bring the blessing? It's a good class that I give. It's a theology class. But what it does is it basically says that God knows in advance where he's going, what he's doing. And it says, this is one scripture that says it, whom he promised long ago. The spirit is God's guarantee. Say it with me, God's guarantee. How many think his guarantee is pretty good? Right? It's pretty good. I've put deposits down on things and come back and someone else bought my product. Right? You put your money down. Maybe you've been on KSL and you go, I want this. I'll be right down. You get down there and they go, oh, sorry, we sold it. God's guarantee is his spirit is in you. Christ's work brings the spirit in you. And when he's in you, he's not in you because of your work. So your works can't remove him or put him in you more. Because he isn't in there because of your works. Amen? And because that's true, that spirit that's in you is the deposit of God's guarantee that he has purchased you as his own people, as his own kid, as his own clan. You are part of who he is. And you will be in me and I will be in you and you will be in us. Praise God. Is there a better message than this? Then you think of that you could have heard this morning. I'm not tooting my preaching. This context. This context. This is awesome. This is the heart of good news of God and Jesus Christ and what he's done. This is the message. We have an inheritance that he promised. And if God promises, it's good. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you'll live in fear again because that's how the religious people live. I'm not sure if I'm liked. I'm not sure if I'm loved. I'm not sure if I blew it. Well, don't even worry about it. You did blow it. What do you need to hear? What are you going to do? Avoid the mirror? The spirit you see brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now we jump into Romans, the doctrine book. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit. He's in you. Trust me, when I'm saying these things, the spirit in you is saying, right on. Amen? How many sense that spirit in you right now? Going, that's right. It testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. How many think this is very good news? The gospel is way better than you think it is. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, last one for. I am significant. Amy mentioned this. She quoted the scripture during her announcements. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Where'd the old go? It's gone. It's gone. I did 
two sermons over the last month about embracing the new life and embracing the new season. And I talked about that scripture in Isaiah 52 and 54 about expanding your borders and moving out your tent posts and what that means. There's a new creation that comes, and you have to understand, God wants you to identify with the truth. You don't walk around and go, I'm not sure who I am. I'm trying to figure it out. You say, I am the child of the king of kings, and I'm part of him. Yeah, but you did some stupid. Yes, and that's why Jesus Christ, the son of the king of kings, paid for my sins. And his spirit, his spirit now lives in me through my, his redemption. You don't have to be as carefully laid out as I spoke it. But trust me, the more you understand its truth, the more you'll be changed by it. But even when you don't realize it, do you understand that God is always working? He's not lazy. Imagine a salvation that depended on your effort. What a pathetic salvation that would be. Like the Lord just working back there, well, we're going to wait until they want to do what the Spirit does. That day is never coming. Because what happens is God changes you on the inside. And when you start agreeing with the Spirit, you know it's the work of God. Right? All this is from God. Verse 18. All this is from God. Verse 18. All this is from God. All this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We own that ministry now. And it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And that's why he finds the biggest loser he can find and puts him on the stage, not counting men's sins against them. Because I have a whole list of sins from my past that I could tell you, mountainous, ugly, terrible things. I look back in disgust. But I'm so thankful for the mercy of God that he didn't count, he didn't make me have to overcome every one of them before I could be saved. And he didn't let the religious people turn his beautiful letters into a penal code that they can dissect as if in a courtroom to decide that fact. But the heart of God is in the heart of the letters, and he changes us. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We there are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. He's saying, look what I've done. I'm calling you to myself. I'm drawing you near to me. God is good. Amen. His son holds us securely, as the scripture says, and the evil one cannot touch us. I love that. Why don't you close your eyes and just respond. I'm not going to be looking, so if you're wondering if we're counting you or something like that, we're not. I just would like you to respond to God in honesty. I'd like you not, I'd like you to put off the worry of man and just have a relationship pure to God that says, Lord, I'm going to just respond to the preaching that I heard. If, if the Lord has challenged you right now and you're just saying you've been living in condemnation, if that's you, just, just stand right now and just say, Lord, I've been living in self-condemnation.
you're tired of beating yourself up, just stand up and say, Lord, heal me. Heal me. Restore my soul. Bring me to a place of life. And I tell you that the hand of the Lord says, you're my son, you're my daughter. And he puts his hand upon you and says, you are mine. You are mine. No one can snatch you out of my hand. No one. You're my people. You're my sheep. You're my child. You're an heir. Be blessed. And there are some that just need to be reminded. And you can stand now too that says, Lord, I need to be reminded that I'm your kid. That I belong to your family. You don't need to say the words, no one's on our team, or we're alone. You're not alone. Stand right now and just say, Lord, I'm part of your family. I'm a part of who you are. I'm a part of eternity. I'm part of destiny. My life has calling and purpose and salvation and direction. Lord, I belong to you. I am yours, and you are mine. And Lord, I thank you, Lord. We come, and can you just then lift up hands that reach out to Dad to say, Father, we reach out to you. We reach out to you, Lord, not because of our nobility, but we lift up holy hands because they've been made holy by Christ. And we say, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. We praise you. Lord, I praise you for your awesome love and power, the beauty and splendor of the wonderful King. Oh, Jesus, I bless you. Your name, oh Lord, is above all names. You are the righteous one, the only one and only who's at the Father's side and has made him known. I bless you. I bless you. I praise you. Lord, pour your spirit into our families. Pour your spirit into our resources, Lord. Help us to become more effective. Pour out your love in your life upon us. Touch our neighbors, Lord. Lord, touch the kids, Lord, through our city. Lord, no matter who their parents are, and touch their parents. And let them know that your love is powerful and can change things. We don't need doctrines for them. We need your spirit. Do your great work, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, saith the Lord. If you agree with that, can you say amen?